What's going on, Whisper Nation? You are listening to the Week 3 Matchup Breakdown Part 1 episode with the Fantasy Whispers, where we go over every single matchup and discussing the fantasy-relevant players, plays, insights, and things you need to know to get ready for Week 3. Let's get this thing going. Right here! That's right. Like Austin said, we will be taking a look at the first half of the NFL slate of matchups and all the fantasy football implications of Sunday's games. But if you love that fresh fantasy football content and you want more of it, consider subscribing over on the YouTube channel and giving this and all of our other videos a like on your way in. That being said, welcome in. My name is Big Travi. You can find me on Twitter at BigTraviTFW. I'm joined as always by Johnny GameTime Hicks, who you can find on Twitter at Johnny underscore GameTime. What is going on, Johnny? What's up, guys? Week three is here. We're diving into all these matchups. We get to figure out for ourselves who we like, who we don't like. Uh, we get to give that information now to us for Nation, which is always fun. How are you guys doing? How are we doing? I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And with that, I'll ask Austin how he's doing. You can find him on the other mic. Uh, and he is on Twitter as well. Austin underscore R underscore Seer. Austin, how are you, brother? I'm off my best fantasy start in a handful of seasons. I'm doing really well. First place in the listener league, first place in our dynasty league, and I was the point leader in our league of record last week. Feeling good. Feeling like a lot of the narratives that I've been stitching together early in the season are coming through. And at least in our league of record, Johnny and Travis, I have not had an easy way about it the last two seasons. So this finally feels good to see that other side of the coin for as long as it lasts. I'm going to go ahead and enjoy this as it comes in because we're all just one ACL tear away from our season going a different direction. ACL tear, COVID list edition, whatever it's going to be, you're, we're all close to being on the on the brink, but... You know, go on, King. Live in that moment right now. You need to, right? We all have to live into it. That's why we Aaron play. Aaron Jones, we're Derek Henry, Aaron yeah. Rodgers, living it. Yes. I'll Let's go. So on that note, though, guys, we're two weeks in, and I wanted to ask, and I'll, and I'll kick it over to you first, Johnny. What's a player that has shocked you the most, whether it's positive or negative, just come out of nowhere and really shocked you uh, in this early 2021 season? I'll be honest. There's not really – many that have really shocked me <laughs> nothing shocks you, oh, you I, I, well, I will say here I, I will say like like cordell patterson and how that's kind of shaping up that could really shock me because i didn't see him being the number two running back there uh or potentially number one we'll see um but mostly it's been kind of like we kind of expressed or we kind of for foreshadowed uh coming into the season i mean i'm not AJ Brown, maybe AJ Brown starting off slow. We'll we'll talk about him, but uh, I'm not huge, con- uh, not overly concerned with AJ Brown. But maybe him not starting off to like the mega start that we thought he would. But that's probably about it. Awesome. What about you, man? Any anybody coming to mind that really came out of the woodwork and shocked the hell out of you? You know, it's a tired narrative at this point, but the week one Green Bay Packers Aaron Rodgers letdown was a real shock. I just expected to see Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, the last dance too, if you will, come out firing week one. They did not. They bounced back against Monday Night Football. That's writing the course, it seems, but that was really really shocking i just did not expect to see such a letdown given the importance of the emotion given the emotional significance for aaron Rodgers, who i've always just perceived as a very emotional player who i thought would rise above and use that to produce productive football that's not what we saw so that that was actually a real shock to me um calm down now after monday night football's performance but that would be what comes to mind first and foremost travi 
Yeah, I think mine's a bit of a tie between K.J. Osborne and Rondell Moore. Look, I know Rondell Moore was a guy people were hyped on, but to come in and have this kind of effect, even as a rookie, has been really nice to see. So that's exciting to keep watching. And then K.J. Osborne and a team with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson continues to make big plays for this offense. We'll see how that honestly pans out, but uh, it's something to monitor and could be in for a breakout for a guy that was supposed to be an afterthought in this offense. Uh, So that should be exciting stuff to work through. But Without further ado, Whisper Nation, let's move along here to our first game of our part one of the Sunday matchups. And we have a divisional battle between the Tennessee Titans, who are hosting the Indianapolis Colts in Nashville. And they will be favored by five, will the Titans, in a 48-point over-under. I wanted to come in here and talk a little bit about Carson Wentz, because I think that's how this offense starts and ends here, uh, Austin. So Wentz now looking like he's not all, not one but two bad ankles right now. Yep. How are we feeling about Wentz coming into this matchup and, and the trickle-down effect it could have on this offense? Bro, I feel awful about it. I think this is like the worst type of situation, full-blown. Taking a look at last year compared to this year also doesn't give me any confidence or any bright spots to focus on. Sorry, we got to go here for a second. But Wentz through two games this season has a lower pro football focus grade than he did in 2020, both in a clean pocket and under blitz, Travis. So last year, the whole story was how bad is Carson Wentz. This year, he's not looking any better. Yeah, the team might be better. He might have a a, a better situation he finds himself in, but his personal performances have not been strong. Two completions. Um, oh, and then, excuse me, getting ahead of myself here. I'm talking about now this indecisive situation that they're painting him in high ankle low ankle but he still might play next week travis like what is that that shows that he's not that they are not fully preparing the backup quarterback behind him they're not putting him in those practice reps with the ones it means that Wentz still is trying to paint this picture and give a gleam of hope that he's going to be out there which if he is he's got a high ankle and a low ankle sprain And then if he's not out there, the backup didn't get as many valuable reps. So this looks like a real bad situation for the Indianapolis Colts offense, both fantasy-wise, both NFL-wise. You didn't get a ton of confidence there from uh, uh, Eason, the backup quarterback who came in, had two completions, 25 yards, one of those complete, and then an interception. So you're not feeling great about that. I really don't have a ton of rosy items to put on the table for this situation. I just hope that Carson Wentz can get out, start to get healthy, and they can start prepping who that eventual replacement is as soon as possible and right this ship as quickly as they can. Yeah, great points here, Austin and Johnny. That's really unfortunate if we're sitting here looking at, at Michael Pittman and Zach Pascal, who are starting to get warmed up in this offense as waiver wire ads or guys, you know, Pittman, a breakout candidate for this year. Um, not something we like to see when when they're stepping into such a good matchup here. Yeah, great matchup on paper. Tennessee giving up 572 yards on the season and six touchdowns to opposing wide receivers. They've been in shootouts the last two weeks and just giving up mad fantasy points to these wide receivers. So coming in, it looked like, you know, it wasn't going to be like the sexiest names to throw out in your lineup, but it would have it would have worked, uh, honestly, because you're looking at Zach Pascal. I know. Uh, He's been kind of a journeyman and up and down, but 90% of the snap share there, number one in slot routes in the league right now, leads the league also in touchdowns with three. Uh, The wild thing is he is still only seeing 15%, so it could be a little bit more of a mirage for for Pascal, but he had the trust of Carson Wentz. Uh, And then you talked about Michael Pittman really starting to come into his own 94% snap share. So getting a good amount of the snap share there, uh, 21% target rate, which is much higher than uh, 
what we kind of project and what we foresaw in this offense, usually they get their number one, about 15%. Uh, but Michael Pittman coming in at 21, uh, 33% of the red area rate, which was 11th in the NFL, just hasn't had an opportunity to come down with a, a touchdown. I thought it was, you know, it would have been coming this weekend too. And it still might with Eason, but again, we don't have any confidence in that. Uh, the other thing I want to say too with Michael Pittman that you like to see is two point zero yards per route ran. Uh, very nice indication that the wide receiver tends to uh, be more real than anything, you know, more than uh, being a fallacy. So Michael Pittman and Zach Pascal, unfortunately, got to sit him this week, or at least until we know that Carson Wentz is healthy from that ankle injury, and then they they become flex plays again. Yeah, we're going to check in a little bit on the running back core here because we saw Naheem Hines have a nice week one. And then as Naheem Hines does, he got volatile in week two, 15 touches in week one, two touches in week two. Wentz's injury can't help and neither will be, you know, neither will him playing less than 50 percent of the snaps, which he's done in both weeks. It's worth noting that he did have 15 points of PPR against Tennessee in both uh, games last year, but I can't possibly roll them out as as my co-hosts have been talking about with Eason under center. That can't be what we look for here. I'm firing up jo Jonathan Taylor, though, as maybe the only Colt I am confident in. Leads the league in red zone uh, uh, rushing attempts, 15 or more attempts in each of his games this year. Re uh, receiving work fell from week seven's targets and six catches to one catch, but he will get a Tennessee defense that's giving up over 17 points per game to the position so far this year. He's going to be the only way I think that the Colts are going to be confident in moving the offense right now, and so that's the reason why you're okay but tempering expectations on Jonathan Taylor. On the other side, you have a much better situation for the running back, and that's Derrick Henry. After last week, we talked about Derrick Henry. Oh, no, are we panicking? Uh, that panic's quickly been quelled. Well, and to be clear here, there was only one member on this panel who was panicking last week. I have not been panicking, and he was my 1-1 pick in standard formats. We can rewind the tape and find the receipts. There are many of them coming out of this mouth of mine, and really there isn't much more, though, that needs to be said about Derrick Henry. Last week showed the familiar narrative still stands. Now, look, there was that concern that we talked about, maybe put a pause on the Derrick Henry enthusiasm, um, but as we pointed out last week, Henry does have a habit of producing sub 4.0 yard per carry days this is going to happen you just usually see him continue to get touches after touches after touches and he only had 17 attempts on the ground last week so we saw though last we are excuse me week two on sunday what derrick henry can do if you keep feeding him that rock where he took his 35 carries for 182 yards and three touchdowns he also dominated the halfback target share travis catching all six of his targets um jerry mcnichols caught three of his targets coming his way um but if you go back to week one jerry mcnichols had the exact same amount of targets and receptions as derrick henry did so Derrick Henry has actually been receiving the most amount of targets of any halfback on the field. He's caught the most amount of targets of any halfback on the field, and he's doing what he has done the last several seasons, especially with Mike Vrabel as the head coach, where I don't know if you saw that post-game conference, but Mike Vrabel, when he was giving out game balls, commented with a little bit of almost like a, gosh, I'm really sorry, man, but commenting on how much they rely on Derrick Henry before he handed him his ball. It's like, I know we ask a lot out of you, man, um, but we, we ask you because you know you can deliver, and that's exactly what Derrick Henry did, and I think they're going to keep doing that the rest of the season, Travis. Nine catches for, through his first two games. That's something we have not seen consistently in Henry's career and couldn't help him reach an even higher ceiling for a guy that's got a pretty big ceiling as it is. Uh, somebody who's not hitting, hitting their ceiling is Ryan Tannehill, Johnny, and 
you know, if we were panicking on Derrick Henry, I feel like we've got to really be kind of concerned here for Ryan Tannehill, who's had back-to-back not great games. Yeah, I don't I don't know necessarily that yeah, there is a little bit of a panic for sure, because we expected Ryan Tannehill to be, you know, one of these quarterbacks that came and uh, immediately was in your starting lineup and dating back, you had seen that his production was very similar to Pat Mahomes. So there was a lot of confidence he would be a surefire quarterback starter for you. Uh, but I will say the first couple of matchups have, have been not good matchups or not great matchups for Ryan Tannehill. I do think that there's still a little bit of gelling that is is going to be going on between Julio and A.J. Brown. Remember, they missed a lot of the practice time in the preseason. The other thing I do want to note that's a, a really big significant part on why I do think that Ryan Tannehill will start to uh, turn it around. A.J. Brown has four drops this season that leads the league, and Julio has two drops himself. We do think that will correct over the next um, couple of uh, weeks for sure as they get back into game flow. It's not like them. Uh, and I, like I said, Arizona and Seattle have combined to give up six passing touchdowns so far this season. The matchup they're going into this weekend, fifth most amount of touchdowns to opposing quarterbacks with six in uh by themselves and 11th most fantasy points to opposing qbs this season so i do think that you can roll them out there if you need to uh this week and moving forward they get the new york jets and jacksonville the next two weeks so i think the next couple of weeks we're going to see a uh bounce back to the old uh ways with ryan Tannehill. Yeah, that roller coaster of Tannehill has extended to the pass catchers. If you look at A.J. Brown, 17 targets through the two weeks, and he leads the team, but he's yet to crack 50 yards in either game. He scored in week one, but not in week two. Relying on touchdowns won't be a fun game for A.J. Brown GMs, but if we can get Tannehill right and the rest of the offense get those drops, as Johnny talked about, right, we could be very uh, inclined to start both of these guys. 14 targets for Julio Jones through two weeks. He took advantage of a great matchup last week, got over 125 receiving yards, but of course, Julio is not allowed to score score a touchdown and he had a touchdown wiped off the board by uh, instant replay the number two option but he's been more effective and more of the compiler for this offense um, outside of Derrick Henry of course Indy has been absolutely gashed on defense though by wide receivers so you we saw monster days from Cooper Cup we saw Tyler Lockett get a monster day in on them even DK scored in that same game in week one I'm starting both of these studs with confidence right this is the right spot for the Tennessee offense on all levels to get right and so we should be looking forward to that Moving on to our next matchup, we have the New York Giants, the New York Football Giants, hosting the Atlanta Falcons. I don't know if you could call them the Football Falcons. Uh, they have not been showing well here. It's a 48-point over-under. We've got the Giants favored by three at home. Austin, uh, we had a situation, you know, Johnny's talked a little bit about Calvin Ridley through the yeah. offseason and how it could be, you know, new offensive coordinator, these these weird tendencies that could come in. Yeah. Is this a spot to go ahead and look at what Ridley did last week and try and get out of Calvin Ridley just based on the offensive woes that we see? I want to take Johnny's analysis and extend it even a little bit further, Travi, where this new offensive system is going to spell trouble for Calvin Ridley early in the season, as Johnny talked about. But I think it's going to continue rest of the season as well. Look, Ridley's dominated in snap percentage and target share across the field. You'd love to see that, right? Opportunity is king. There's really no wide receiver, too. And with this Russell Gage news, the injury concern there, there's even less of a wide receiver, too, than there even was before that, which there really wasn't. But look, this offense has started as one of the worst in the NFL, third to the bottom in points per game, and 25th out of 32 in total yards. So they're just not moving the ball that well, Travi. Um, this game right here against the New York Football Giants are going to go up against the 24th ranked pass defense. This is going to be a great opportunity. Um, I would actually try to take this as an opportunity to sell 
Calvin Ridley, Travis. I would take this as, hey, look, this is an elite wide receiver, remember, who just had a tough start, and I'm looking to move on. you got a great matchup this week. You might only be able to get 80 cents on the dollar, but that might be more than 60 cents on the dollar you can get in two weeks after this. So I'd be interested to hear if Johnny has any further analysis from Calvin Ridley because he's been pretty spot on from him early on through the season, through these first two weeks. But I just don't like this offense, Trabby. I think Calvin Ridley's a fine playmaker, but it's a totally new system. It's a different Atlanta Falcons, and I don't think it's one that you're going to want to see leading your fantasy team. Yeah, Austin lays it out pretty perfectly there, Johnny, as, as you've kind of been beating that drum all offseason. Maybe switching gears to Kyle Pitts, though, as the other pass catcher here. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel for Pitts? Is he kind of knocking on the door here? Yeah, I definitely think this is the the week that if you want to, you know, if you're starting Kyle Pitts this week, obviously you've had him this long, uh, but this week he should be in a blow-up spot. Goes against the New York Giants, who give up the fourth most fancy points to opposing tight ends. The one thing there are the few things that I do like about Kyle Pitts and why I do think it's not only a good spot, but you should have confidence. It's a 72.2% snap share. That's a very healthy one, especially because we had the concern of splitting time with Hearst. Uh, 21% target rate for Atlanta. So he is that number two uh, wide receiver or target um, getter uh, for Atlanta. He is number here. He has had two red zone or red area targets. That's seventh in the league for the tight end. Hasn't come down with the touchdown yet, but he has he is third in routes ran and 32% of his uh slot. Well, excuse me, 32% of his snaps are out of the slot, which we always talk about our tight ends and how we like them lining up in the slot gives a huge miss uh disadvantage. And so I do think this is a nice spot for Kyle Pitts to to get right and kind of explode and have his rookie debut per se. Well, a player that the fantasy football community wants to explode, especially Johnny Game Time Hicks, is Corderell Patterson, who is now the official backup to Mike Davis. But, I mean, are we looking at a situation where maybe he could be set to take over? Uh, diving into the numbers a little bit through two weeks, we have a PFF elusive grade of 58 only for Corderell Patterson, but that's better than Mike Davis's 54.9. On a pure rushing grade, we have Mike Davis at 70.9, and then we have Patterson at 66.3. The big thing for me is snap percentage. We have 75% and then 65% of snaps for Mike Davis in weeks one and two. And then conversely, Patterson saw 33% of snaps in both games. This offense is a bit ho-hum. We've talked about how the bottom's falling out here um, and, and it's desperate to make plays. I think this is going to be one of the last few times you could probably start Mike Davis. Uh, he's going up against a new New York Giants squad that allowed the fourth most rushing yards per game to running backs through two weeks he's on the rb3 flex borderline we definitely have that within his range of outcomes but then patterson is a guy that we're just begging to get more usage i don't know that we can assume rational coaching on the falcons but if they're looking at it they've got to try and get him on the field for more than 33 percent snaps uh he scored two touchdowns last week you have you look at um the giants they're giving up about 50 receiving yards per game to opposing running backs you know patterson can be used really well in the passing game so i'm okay with the flex start of patterson here as well um i just i i Personally, for my risk mitigation, I'd like to see Patterson get a little more higher snap percentage, but I understand why we're begging for him to be started here or, or at least um, to be used more in that offense. Somebody we'd like to get used more in the offense for the New York Giants, Johnny, is Saquon Barkley. He seemed to ramp up another week here and get a little bit more usage last week. Um, but this is a team that, you know, the offensive line has troubles. How are we, you know, gauging our interest in, in Saquon Barkley moving forward? 
It hasn't been what you expected. If you drafted Saquon Barkley, we did try to kind of ease that pain, let you know what it would be like starting out of the gate. So far, it's been according to plan. Uh, The nice thing about the last two weeks and what we've seen with Saquon Barkley, 47.5% snap share in week one. That increased all the way up to 83% snap share in week two. You like to see that heading in the right direction. 11 total touches in week one. Then he got the 15 in week two. He did have that big mega run. This is something that we do need to uh, remember and remind ourselves that, yes, Saquon Barkley is a very talented running back, but he is very uh, boom and bust kind of uh, when it comes to each individual uh, carry. He tries to take it to the house every time. So And that offensive line isn't great. So you're going to see him get tackled by the, the line of scrimmage more oftentimes than not. But something that is interesting that I want to – Just mention, it'll be interesting to monitor moving forward. I don't know if it's injury related or with the leg, if they're trying to keep him um, kind of, you know, in wraps with it. Uh, But back-to-back weeks with only three targets, we did talk about the targets coming down with the added weapons. We'll continue to see if that is an actual uh, steady thing that we can rely on for the rest of the year, or if they're going to increase that when they, you know, get him fully back on this field. The one thing I want to mention is this is a fairly nice matchup with Atlanta, giving up the 12th most fantasy points to opposing running backs, but they've only given up one touchdown on the season. Uh, So it's probably going to be a big yardage game uh, for Saquon. You're going to throw him in there, but he's not going to be that RB one that you, you know, you kind of drafted or expected to draft, uh, but he will be an RB two, I believe this week. Do you think he's more of an RB2 all year? I mean, is that where we're at with Saquon? Is he just an RB2 now? Like, is he ever going to get to the ceiling we drafted him at? I think eventually he will, but it's going to it's going to be much later in the year. I think that he'll put up more RB2 numbers than RB1 numbers uh, because of the knee. Speaking of the steadiness that we want out of Saquon, Austin, we have gotten it out of Sterling Shepard, who's been yeah. really the the steady Eddie for this offense. How does that look for this week for Shepard long term, and then the trickle down effect in those in those pass catchers? Dude, I'm trying to find a reason not to be all up on Sterling Shepard, Travis. Like I have him in our league of record, picked him up after week one, but. I, I, I and I, it's Sterling Shepard. It's a very familiar name who's never actually really been a dude, right? But I'm I'm looking at his performances. I'm looking at the deeper numbers, and I'm struggling to make a case against why Sterling Shepard isn't somebody you should have consistently in your lineups. Here's some of the items that we do know. Sterling Shepard right now leads the New York Football Giants in both games and overall in targets, in yards. Uh, He has a 94% snap share that dominates over number two, Kenny Galladay, who's the bigger name, but who saw his snap percentage actually go down from week one to week two. He dropped a percentage from 85 to 84% in week two. So not only is Sterling Shepard getting the volume and the opportunity, the metrics suggest that he's doing great work with those opportunities. His pro football scores tops Uh, Those other receivers in the tree, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, um, and he's earned more yards, uh, twice the amount of yards as any other pass catcher. The idea and the concern with Sterling Shepard, right, Travi, is that Galladay is going to eventually eat into this share. I mean, he just kind of has to. He's You don't pay him that much money to not be the guy, right? Like they're they're eventually trying to get him there. 
you're never going to force a guy to be the guy who can't make it happen, but you're paying right. a guy you expect to be able to do it. You know, there's not an amount of money that you can roll out somebody who just can't get it done if he's proven he can't get it done. Kenny Galladay's not at that point yet. We're going to see him get more opportunity. We're going to see him have more chances to shine. They want him to shine. Um, we saw him also hooting and hollering over at Daniel Jones after that Thursday night football game. And I'll tell you what, man, we see this often in the NFL where wide receivers go ahead and have these explosive public moments. And I think more times than not, they actually get rewarded from this. It, it draws some more attention. It brings them in some more targets. And you usually see a higher fantasy day a week or two after a bit of a public blow up. But with that said, Here's some of the things that a public blow up had no influence on, and that is Sterling Shepard getting all four red zone targets last week, Travi. He caught two of those. Only one pass catcher had any red zone targets. There were four of them. He had all four of them, and he hasn't had a caught a touchdown yet, Travis. Like he's gotten close to 100. He's eclipsed 100 yards. He's gotten close to 100 yards. No touchdowns yet, but that red zone work shows Daniel Jones is looking for him. And I imagine sooner or later that will turn. And the last point that I wanted to share about Sterling Shepard is the role it seems that he has in this team. And this team, the New York Football Giants, are actually not a bad squad to be trying to pick up points from at the wide receiver position. And that's because the Giants, 72.1% of their total fantasy output comes from the wide receiver position. Um, they're top five in the NFL in this stat. That means there's just a lot of points to be had from this wide receiver group. And Sterling Shepard, at least right now, looks to be the lead wide receiver. And even if Kenny Galladay eats a little bit into that, Sterling Shepard's got a real role on this team that I don't see dramatically changing as the season progresses. Yeah, fantasy GMs will be, and I will be holding out hope that Kenny Galladay is some, you know, kind of, come on here that's what we would expect but don't forget that it's sterling shepherd who has all the experience already with daniel jones i don't want to beat a dead horse here but it is sterling shepherd who has established chemistry already and, and, and he's done nothing to prove as austin pointed out eloquently there that he's not going to be the guy going forward and the last point i failed to mention was that sterling shepherd this week is going up against an atlanta pass defense that's led up the eighth most amount of points to the wide receiver position so you love him moving forward and you really love him this week Johnny, you still wait and see on Kenny G just because of the way Sterling yeah. Shepard. Okay, I, and I would play him this week. I would. I think Kenny so you, G's in a good spot as well uh, to play this week. And I just think it's you know building on that rapport. I think we'll see a second half, uh, a really big second half from Kenny G. Uh, Johnny, kind of trusting the talent in both Kenny G and Saquon for second half of the year. Uh, that's a good point to make on these guys. want to just briefly talk about the last pass catcher in like question here. That's Evan Ingram. Uh, he's continued to practice all week. He led this Giants team in targets last year. You're obviously not starting him this week. We'll want to wait and see, but I could see him be on the waiver wire column next week uh, with a date against Atlanta here. If he can get on the field, remain healthy, we'll be looking forward to that. But guys, don't look now. Daniel Jones is the QB five in fantasy football. Uh, it's obviously only two weeks, but he had a 23 and then a 31-point performance, arguably the best weapons of his career. It will get even better with Ingram if, if he's able to return. Atlanta has allowed two more touchdowns than any other defense to opposing quarterbacks. They've given up 29 points per game on average. I mean, this is as close as we can get to a stream of a week, which, you know, we will eventually means that Daniel Jones will let us all down. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's where I'm at with Danny Dimes. I'm firing him up as a stream of the week. I think he's, he's a great start this week uh, in a matchup against Atlanta. We are moving on to the next game on our slate. That's the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Los Angeles Chargers in a 55-and-a-half point whopping over-under. We've got the Chiefs favored by nearly a touchdown at home. Johnny, you hear that? That's a, 
or Austin, that's a big sigh of relief from all those Austin Eckler owners. So Austin, take your namesake there and, and, and let me know how we're feeling now with Austin Eckler. You got to feel like it is a reset game, right, Travis? I don't think there's any reason to believe it's anything really other than that. Week ones are weird in the NFL. Austin Eckler came out and talked of how that was kind of expected, him not getting as many targets as a lot of folks expected him to get because of that left tackle. His NFL debut meant they're going to need to have some pass catchers hanging back, Austin Eckler being one of them. That's what he said in week one, and it looked like that was a true statement moving into week two where we saw him have nine targets, nine receptions. Um also nine carries there for 54 yards on the ground, 61 yards through the air. Doesn't sound like a huge load on the ground, Travi, just nine carries, but that outdid Larry Roundtree and Jackson's combined five yards together. So this week going up against a Kansas City Chiefs team where Vegas has a 55 and a half point line where we're also expecting the Chargers to be down the majority of this game. KC favored by six and a half. I think this makes for a really good game flow type of situation for Austin Eckler. And we've seen how the Chargers at least can use Austin Eckler. I think it's the way they plan to use him. And this is a situation going up against Kansas City in week three where I think you're going to see a lot of Austin Eckler's skill sets showcased for this specific matchup. Yeah, I think a lot of it more. He probably had a bigger ceiling last week. There's a lot of penalties in that game against Dallas. It got to be a little bit slower than we expected. This could be a game where we actually see this offense even hit another level. And so I'll ask that, Johnny, to you about Justin Herbert, because obviously we talked about him seeing regression this year, at least for fantasy football purposes. That was the hive mind thinking. Uh, well, not the hive mind, but the alternative hive mind thinking that he was asked to do a lot of things at a high level last year. And he's not having to he's going to have to hit on those things to kind of repeat as the guy he was last year. But what are you seeing out of Herbert and especially in this matchup? Yeah, what's what's really wild about Justin Herbert was, you know, there were some people we were calling for a regression. But to, to what extent? Right. Um, a lot of people had him really high in their in their rankings because he was this rookie that came and uh, really showed up and showed out for fantasy. And. When you look at what he's doing right now, the odd thing is that he is on pace for more passing attempts than last year. He's on pace for more passing yards than last year. His yards per attempt are up from 7.3 last year to 7.7. Rushing attempts are about the same. He's getting about four per a game. But here's where it all comes down and why he's not being as successful as he was last year. Last year, he had a 5.2% touchdown rate, which is about normal for a quarterback, maybe not for a rookie quarterback. But this year, so far, he's only getting at a 2.3% touchdown rate. That is far below where he was last year. And he's got a really difficult schedule coming up. He's got the charge or the the Chiefs this weekend, which is actually a, a good matchup for him. So I would play him this weekend. But then he's got Las Vegas. He's got Cleveland, Baltimore, a bye, and then New England. So you can potentially continue to see him struggle a little bit in the red zone, not score as much touchdowns. You also we also talked about how Austin Eckler coming there would uh, would spell some signs for touchdown regression for Herbert. Um, but some, you know, it, it didn't expect to be this much. I'll certainly say that. Uh, but once again, I would play him in this game. Chiefs giving up the ninth most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks. So I think you could trust them in your lineup. They're going to have to keep up with Kansas City and point, put points on the board. Uh, so I do think that uh, Herbert is in a good spot here. You could trust him. 
Yeah, it, it does seem like Herbert's going to be one, maybe more of the fringe streamer that we're going to talk about going forward, but we'll see how he mm-hmm. plays in this game with some points going on here. I want to look at the wide receivers, though, because one of the biggest storylines of the offseason was grab Mike Williams wherever you could because he could break out. Honestly, to be always. fair, we've been saying that for so many years, Austin, right? I mean, that's always been the case, but guess He's what, guys? He's a perennial breakout candidate. He's guess a perennial what? breakout candidate. He fifth, is fifth year, dominating fifth year right breakout. Now. Yeah, the fifth-year breakout. At all, uh, Parker status. Yeah, and Corey Davis. So Mike Williams here, 22 targets, leads the team, and is tied for third in the NFL for Mike Williams. He's the wide receiver seven in standard, wide receiver five in PPR. He's got four red zone targets through two games. He scored in each contest. You look at Keenan Allen, that's got to mean bad for Keenan Allen. No, 21 targets through two weeks, 208 receiving yards. That's tied for sixth in the NFL among wide receivers. And get this, guys, Keenan Allen, not Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, and not really anybody else has five red zone targets and leads the NFL. So we love what the narrow target tree does for this offense. Regardless of Herbert's regression, these two guys are locked in starts right now. They're auto starts until further notice. It's not a great plus matchup. Kansas City is bottom 15 in points allowed to wide receivers, but they've been playing with teams like Cleveland, and Baltimore this year who don't really have wide receivers of this caliber. And they're tied for the highest over-under this week. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers, as Austin said, set to be coming from behind. Uh, Just a quick note on Jared Cook. He showed us the volatility of the position. I know, I'm sorry, Whisper Nation, I told you to snag him up in the waiver column. He went from five catches to three in week two. I think there's going to be spots for Jared Cook, but he's not going to be that you know guy you picked up that you could ride all year long, unfortunately. We move on to the other side of the – We've got the Kansas City Chiefs uh, hosting this game. And, Austin, so much of what we do as fantasy football analysts sometimes is become the therapist for these fantasy football GMs that are out there. And right now, you know, there's a lot of panic. There's a lot of anxiety setting in on CEH owners. And I want to ask what the hell we're supposed to do with Clyde Edwards-Elaire. Well, the first thing I would say from a therapist point of view is remember that he's coming off of an ankle injury that had a three to five week timetable. These types of ankle injuries often mean you can play on them, but you're not going to be playing at 100%. It's enough to have you look like you're playing at 100%, but you're not able to cut, you're not able to move, you're not able to power through defenses the way you would be should it be 100%. And I'd say if you are rostering CEH and there is conversation in your league, you need to be pushing that narrative as much as you possibly can one because it's true and two the alternative is a really bad position you do not want to find yourself in and that ceh is just not that great of a running back going back in time just a bit we get so excited about ceh because he was the first halfback taken off the board two years ago which would suggest he's one of if not the most talented halfback but remember that the kansas city chiefs asked patrick mahomes who they should go out and draft he said get my boy ceh they could have taken jonathan taylor they could have gone other routes they didn't they went with a I don't want to call it a nepotistic pick, but it was definitely a personal preferential pick. And CEH is not a bad halfback. Like, don't get me wrong here. He's just not that number one type talent dude. He might, as his NFL career progresses, find himself as the lead dog in a good committee, you know, or a really viable member on a strong rushing attack. It might be something of that nature, but to be the lead dog, a a talented lead dog, it's who can actually make plays and carry the team forward for first downs for goal line scores all that good stuff it's it it might just not be the case but what do you do with ceh right like it's frustrating you're not going to trade him right now this is the lowest his stock is like ever going to be unless you can find somebody who is going to still buy him at that second round value 
my bigger question on this one, and I, I do want to kind of get Johnny's stance on this one because I do know how much um, he enjoys talking about CEH on this one. But I want to know moving forward, is there any outlook for any other running backs in this offense? We know we talked about Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon does look to be behind Darren Williams. Is anybody, though, somebody that listeners should be keeping an eye on, maybe not necessarily targeting right now, but say investing in if you're in a deeper league? Or what do you expect to see out of this running back room as the season progresses from a fantasy outlook? I really want to know what Johnny has to say on that one. I, I really think that, um, that you'll start to see McKinnon get a little bit more work, and then you'll still see Williams uh, get it up the middle. I think that because he's the biggest running back there, they're going to use him to kind of pound the rock, and and it just spells concern. It's, it spells RBBC, um, and this is nothing new for uh, for Kansas City. They've been doing it over the years. We just didn't want to accept that because we wanted to see the bright side and the upside of CEH, which certainly was there. All the arrows were pointing to what could be the upside, but he's just not getting it. So, um, yeah, it's not not looking pretty there for CEH. Yeah, this is unfortunate. So, But I think Austin's got a point of, like, we can't do much right now. You'll be getting mm-hmm. too much back or too little back. You might have to – hopefully you drafted some depth at running back. You'll move in some other pieces here. I do want to, you know, talk a little bit about what concern might come up. This is just what happens. We have a, you know, we have a stud like Tyreek Hill. Then he has a bad game, and then we ask, oh, should we be concerned? I'm not really concerned about Tyreek Hill. I am seeing that off defenses now have done what Baltimore did this last Sunday night. New England does uh, from time to time with Tyreek, and that's bracket him. Now, I don't think there's a world, Johnny, where you're benching Tyreek Hill, but you may change your outlook in your lineup based on Tyreek Hill's defensive coverage. You might go for more points at other positions. So talk to me a little bit about if we're going to be able to predict bracket coverage for uh, Tyreek and if he can beat it. I don't know if we're going to be able to predict necessarily. Maybe on the team, like we could somewhat say there's a higher probability that that will happen. And I don't know that he'll necessarily get full bracket coverage this week. But what was interesting about Baltimore, Baltimore was doing it multiple times with multiple players. On certain occasions, they would they would uh, bracket or double team Tyreek. On certain occasions, they were bracketing uh, and double teaming Travis Kelsey. In fact, the Travis Kelsey touchdown actually came from a double team that fell off. Uh, and then uh, when Kittle or Kelsey was able to come back and get the ball, and then you you saw the rest of it rumble and tumble for a touchdown, that actually came from a double team. So, uh, you know, it does switch up. It's not solely that for the whole entire game. One thing I do want to know, it could be another long day this week for Tyreek Hill. Chargers have given up the second fewest yards to opposing wide receivers. They've all, uh, And they have yet to give up a passing touchdown to opposing wide receiver either um the thing is with Tyreek once again he could he's, he's getting 30 percent of the target market share there we still like that he does have five deep ball targets so again he can make your day by just grabbing one of those that's the upside that's what we like about Tyreek but I will say if he does have another one which it's kind of shaping up to be another down game I might go after and try to target him and try to get him a little bit cheaper people might be panicking a little bit uh, especially if he doesn't, you know, if he has another dud game, uh, then you might be able to get him a little bit easier in trades. And then I just want to mention and make no Michael Hardman, not saying to play him in this game. Again, we just said it was a difficult matchup, but 
one thing that's interesting, he, he did see 74% of the snap share, which is going up, as well as 18% market share uh, for this team. We always talk about how we like the weapons and we want to be uh, involved in this offense. 18% market share for Miko Hardman is pretty good. Yeah, we'll see if that can continue. We've been begging for a third option in the offense for a while now. It just doesn't seem that it's anything's emerged just yet. But uh, mm-hmm. hashtag as expected for both Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, both within the top two at their position. Kind of what we thought would happen. 30-point games out of Pat Mahomes in both games. And Travis Kelsey scoring touchdowns on great plays. That's kind of what the guy does. What we do is move on to the next matchup, which we have the Pittsburgh Steelers hosting the Cincinnati Bengals in a divisional matchup. It's a 44.5 point over-under. We've got Pittsburgh favored by 3.5 at home. Austin, Joe Mixon continues to be a bell cow and see the bell cow usage we were begging for when we drafted him in the second round this year. Yeah, Joe Mixon appreciation rant here for just a second. Only Derrick Henry has more carries than Joe Mixon, and this is coming off of Derrick Henry's 35 carry week two. Um, Mixon is number two in carries, number two in yards. Um, and this is NFL wide and is the most active halfback over there in Cincinnati in terms of catching passes, averaging three targets there per game. Not only is he getting a ton of opportunity, Travis, he's performing really well with set opportunity. He's currently ranked the number three halfback per pro football focuses rushing grade behind only Nick Chubb and Tony Pollard. Um, we thought that this could happen, right? Um, and it's happening. Mixon is a very good runner with almost no competition behind him, and it makes sense for the team to be using him this way. Um, The Bengals are, and Mixon is not disappointing them, nor is he disappointing you if you went ahead and drafted him in that second round. Yeah, and neither are the wide receivers for Cincinnati. I mean, even Tyler Boyd, who had a bad week one, dismal week, he went for over 14 PPR points. This is just a reminder that Boyd was the wide receiver 11 in PPR before Joe Burrow got hurt. Um, That was a team without Jamar Chase. And when we look at Jamar Chase, only 11 targets in two games, but a massive big play threat for this team with scores in each. He has over 155 receiving yards after only two games and a monster 23.6 yards per reception. He is just the guy that they look to when they want to move it in a big way. He would stand to get a target boost if Higgins is forced to miss, and Higgins has mispracticed this week with a shoulder injury. We're going to monitor that shoulder, but he's the wide receiver 26 in PPR and standard, doing right, right what we thought he would where we drafted him. Three red zone targets through two weeks double digit targets in week two and scores in both games i mean given all their injuries pittsburgh's having in the defense you know they've given up the third most catches and fifth most yards to wide receivers in 2021 actually love chase and higgins in this spot vegas does not see pittsburgh blowing them out cincinnati that is or even taking command of the game they're barely favored here we obviously know the situation with ben which we'll talk about in a second we've got pittsburgh even historically bad against slot wide receivers so Boyd is on the PPR flex borderline as well. And I'd say way more confidence should Higgins miss as well. Johnny, where are we at confidence level in Joe Burrow? He was a guy we were talking about maybe fading a Herbert for Joe Burrow to be able to be on that QB one borderline. And we just haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Joe Burrow really struggling so far this season, not fully unexpected, right? We did kind of say that this could be because he was coming back from the injury, things like that. And you're not looking to start him in this matchup going against Pittsburgh, who is allowing, you know, 21 fantasy points per game to opposing QBs. Not great. Uh, We saw them really get after Derek Carr last week, although Derek Carr did put up a a really nice fantasy day again. I don't expect that to come from Joe Burrow because here's the reality of Joe Burrow. And why do you have some concerns? 
he is doing okay for fantasy purposes, but in reality, he's 30th in accuracy rating right now, 25th in deep ball completion percentage. I know he's got a plethora of, of wide receiver weapons around him, which in theory should help him out, but we did see this come uh, last year uh, from uh, – we, we did see this come – Last year with a lot of weapons, you know, AJ Green struggling a little bit there as well. Uh, and it was all due to his accuracy stuff. So that definitely affects the wide receivers, especially when he's trying to push the ball down the field uh, to Jamar Chase. I got to apologize to Johnny and those watching on Patreon, man. I had something in my eye and I dug into it. And then I was messing around off camera when we went to Johnny. So apologize for that. And that's what you miss. If you don't go over to Patreon and get the full video, that's the kind of content you're you looking miss. like Jerry Jones. Yeah, last man. Season, pull the man, Jerry Jones. The eyes. <laughs> no, but Johnny, I appreciate the breakdown on Joe Burrow. I'm going to pitch it over to Austin here to talk Ben Roethlisberger because he's dealing with the pector pectoral issue. This could really downgrade an offense that we weren't very excited excited about in general as it was no, man, as it I, think that, I think that this this pectoral news coming out from Mike Tomlin and the crew is is almost like a little bit of a a predictive gesture if you will almost like when the New England Patriots <laughs> commented on the fumbling of Cam Newton's COVID protocol situation you know what I mean because yeah. And I'll get to that in a second here. Big Ben right now is ranked 30th in passing grade per pro football focus, 27th in deep passing. He's off to his second worst start in his NFL career behind only 2019's damage season and just ahead of his rookie season, you know, like 17 years ago. At age 39, Travis, and given the way Big Ben has played the game of football throughout his career, I just don't know why we'd expect for him to all of a sudden get that much better if what we're looking at right now is, is is a little bit of a depressed performance from what we're expecting out of big ben roethlisberger and given that his top target there in deontay johnson is dealing with a leg issue i'm just not super confident in big ben moving forward generally now as a streamable option look this is going up against cincinnati's 27th ranked pass defense I do still like him as a streamable option here, but I am really going to be tempering my expectations. And I think that the pectoral news that came out of the camp was almost to set us up to not be so surprised should we see a Mason Rudolph sighting coming in if we get a couple of duck throws, you know, in the first half of the game. Blame it on the peck issue. Say we got to have him get right. But really, it's just about we need to play better football. Johnny, it's kind of like they went into the locker room, Johnny Austin. They were like, hey, Ben, how you feeling? He's like, I'm fine. Tomlin's like, no, you got a pec injury, don't you? You got a pec injury, don't you? Why don't you just say that? Speaking of injury, Johnny, we've got Deontay Johnson, who now has an injury and is likely to miss. He didn't. He's not going to miss a ton of time. It seems like he didn't get a significant injury, but he could miss this week for sure. Johnny, where's your finger on the pulse for this pass catchers? I know you mentioned on the Thursday night show, uh, kind of a prelude to this, to pick up James Washington. Is that how you see this shaking out? You don't see an uptick maybe for a Chase Claypool or Juju? I, I do think that um, you would you could see a slight uptick there as far as um, Chase getting a little bit Chase Claypool getting a little bit more involved. Something to note is that Chase is only seeing a 70% snap share right now. He is getting a 19% target share, which is uh, just about the same as Juju. But what I do like is the 19.2 yards per reception from Chase Claypool. So once again, he he would 
really get into that discussion for me for high upside flex play. Again, you have to also monitor Big Ben and, and what he is doing. What's interesting about Big Ben is he is actually ninth in deep ball uh, attempts, right? Or he's got 10 deep ball targets uh, or attempts right now, which is ninth in the league. So you do have to watch that because he is starting to air it out a little bit more than he was last year. Um, but I would expect Claypool to uh, take a step forward in this game if no Deontay. Uh, again, I would expect uh, Washington. We've seen this throughout. Uh, anytime Deontay kind of misses time, we see Washington slide right in there and take over that Deontay role, which could see, you know, 10 targets again. We That's the thing that we like about Deontay is, you know, whether or not he's this uh, prolific wide receiver, Pittsburgh sees them that way or they they view that wide receiver X that way and are willing to feed them the ball. That's why I do think White would be a, a somewhat interesting uh, throw in there if you need him because Cincinnati giving up the 13th most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers. So I do uh, think that that might be an option for you. The one thing I do want to know on Juju and talk about it because – there might be a lot of people questioning, like, why do we hate Juju so much? Because we don't talk about him a whole lot. Uh, he is seeing 21% of the team's market share, which is uh, somewhat up there for, for a number two on an offense. And in most, you know, offenses, we'd like that, right? We were, oh, we pray, you know, we praise Michael Pittman for having 21% market share in his offense. The problem is, is that Juju's yards per target are 6.2% or 6.2 yards. Like, that's so minimal. He can't do a lot with it. So there's not. Not a whole lot of upside and then the second part is like they're not looking for him at all in the red zone like he's like the fourth option there you've got claypool that they're going to go over him they're going to go over uh and, and go towards deontay and the red zone before juju and they've also got uh Najee harris who they're also going to go ahead and target before juju so that's why you're not seeing the touch or the red zone rate for juju be anything is because he's the fourth option there and so i i would Still, you know, it's a frustrating spot. I'll kick it back to you guys. Like, would you drop him? He's getting the market share there, but there's just no touchdown upside. So it's like, why why would you keep him? Well, he did score a touchdown on the ground. Last yeah, week. he got the yeah, uh, poached the rushing touchdown he, for yeah, sure. The but offense and creative I think, fashions. Yeah, I think they're gonna do that with both of them, like with Claypool and Juju. I think the upside's probably with Claypool. I do have bias because I do have Claypool as my bromance. I want to see him break out. Um, but to Mary Austin's point about Big Ben's inefficiency and Johnny's point about the deep ball attempts, this is not, we're not a stranger to this narrative. Last year, he was number three in deep ball attempts, and they just did not convert on him. And number three being uh, Chase Claypool from Ben Roethlisberger. So that is something that we've seen in this offense. The problem is, is this offense looks to have taken a step back even from last year, and that's not good for fantasy football purposes. So to answer your question, Johnny, I think I am dropping Juju. I would hold on to, to Deontay and Claypool for some sort like if I have investments in, in, in each of those respectively but uh, that's kind of where I'm at with it I, I want to and he'll get yeah, go for it awesome. I was going to say you're yep. going to drop Juju and I'm fine with like, that drop too. the bomb just know that he's going to get picked up and don't feel mm -hmm. bad when somebody comes and rushes the waiver wire and spends a little bit of wob on him because it's still Juju Smith-Schuster right? right he's still got that name appeal but as to Johnny's points to your points like we know what his ceiling likely is and you're probably able to find somebody with a more appealing ceiling than Juju right now what is wild is that they were actually targeting Deontay more on the deep ball, which is kind of a little baffling because he's not the biggest guy again. Uh, and you would expect them to do that with, with chase. So it is a little bit of that, like rational coaching kind of thing coming in with Pittsburgh, but they are set in their ways. So it is what it is. 
we can see them use more play action, but until Ben becomes better than what Austin laid out, like I don't know why we'd be investing in this offense not, heavily. And, and like Big Travis said, that offensive line is just terrible, so he's not giving Ben, ben or Najee much time. And then talking about the offensive line, because it pertains to Najee Harris, we've got Najee Harris who, you know, we we need to know what to do with because we're already starting to get D- DMs about like trading him away because he's not hitting that first round ceiling. He is averaging 97% of the team snaps, 16 touches per average game or per game on average through two weeks, but he's yet to crack either 50 rushing yards or 50 receiving yards through the air. That kind of spells on this offensive woes we're talking about. I just want to tell Whisper Nation, pause a second on selling Najee just yet. He plays Cincinnati this week, Green Bay next, and then uh, skips a week, plays Seattle. So three of his next four games against really juicy matchups. Build that case. Make the portfolio a little bit better for Najee Harris, and then you could sell him, I think, and get a little bit more value on him um, if, if you were interested in doing so and bailing out of the offense. Moving on to our next game. We'll bail out of that last one. We've got the Cleveland Browns hosting the Chicago Bears. This is a 46-point over-under. We've got a spread of seven points, which is Cleveland as the favorite at home. Guys, it's time. Justin Fields will take the field this week. He took it a little bit last week after Dalton went out with injury. Nagy has now confirmed that Justin Let's Fields go. will get the start. Yeah, it's time. It's time to rock and roll here, hopefully, with these, uh, you know, with this Chicago Bears offense. I mean, hopefully, if you're a fantasy football fan or a Bears fan. Um, in replacement of Dalton last week, we saw Justin Fields get 65% of the team snaps, but he was only 6 of 13 passing for only 60 passing yards and an interception. We did, however, see 10 rushing attempts, which is really high for a uh, rushing quarterback not named Lamar Jackson. So you like to see that. He was only able to net 31 yards. I'm curious to see uh, him in this game that Chicago will have all week to prep him for. We do know we have a tough defensive line in Cleveland, but they've now given up the third most points per game to fantasy QBs. I am still hesitant. And that includes like not only Patrick Mahomes, but they also played Terod Taylor last week. So maybe similar play styles. Yeah. With Terod Taylor and Justin Fields. So I'm still hesitant to start him, but I'm going to start him over streaming guys like Daniel Jones, Teddy Bridgewater, Derek Carr. I'm also going to start him over a guy like Ryan Tannehill. I know we talked about a good matchup for Tannehill, get right spot, but I think the rushing upsides there, I think the matchup's right. And I'm rocking and rolling with fields in this matchup. Austin, I want to know what you think this means for the passing attack. Allen Robinson find the end zone last week, but still hasn't been as dominant as we'd like to see out of A-Rob. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron, Allen Robinson is a talent. That's undeniable. Um, This week, he's going up against Cleveland, who really was torched by Tyreek Hill in week one. And as you pointed to, Travis has had some surprising performances had against that Cleveland defense because we expected Cleveland to be a lockdown defensive unit. I'm still holding breath, and I think the jury's out on that Cleveland defense. They're just too talented to be putting up consistently the types of defensive performances that they have. With that said... Um, it's going to be tough, though, for me to start Allen Robinson. Um, he has not been featured in the way that I think we'd expect a true wide receiver one to be featured, and he hasn't looked phenomenal. He dropped that touchdown pass last week. Pro Football Focus also isn't a huge fan of Allen Robinson. His receiving grade is in the 50s. That's orangish red for anybody at home paying attention to the color scale. Um, it's also well below Darnell Mooney's 65.9, who we'll talk about in just a second, who I am a little bit more excited. Look, I think Allen Robinson is going to pick it up. He's just too good not to. His consistency throughout his career is too strong, but it's a slow start. It's difficult to predict when he's going to pop. I'm not taking him out of my lineup, Travi, but I'm probably moving him from that wide receiver one-two position to a flex for now. 
where I'd also be putting Darnell Mooney. I'm giving him some flex consideration right now. Um, he caught six of his eight targets for 66 yards. He led the team in targets, yards, and surprisingly snap percentage, Travis. Um, this could suggest a shift towards Mooney's viability. He here appears to have legitimate rapport with Justin Fields. He's got enough trust from Nagy to be on the field over Allen Robinson. And he's done a pretty good job with the work that he's been allotted thus far. I think they're going to continue the Bears, that is, to explore what they've got in Darnell Mooney. Mooney, their second-year wide receiver. I'm not putting a heavy bet on the man. If I have anybody else to start, I'm going to be doing that. I just think Darnell Mooney, he was a preseason intrigue. Uh, week two, he had a nice showing, and it looks like he has rapport with the new starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears. I'm interested to watch what happens, but it's a wait-and-see roster him. Maybe deep flex appeal if you had to, but certainly exciting to see what blossoms from this new situation in Chicago, Travis. It's interesting to note they didn't give Allen Robinson that huge contract. We're seeing snap percentage tilt towards Mooney's way. I don't think that I don't want to speak heresy and say, obviously, that Robinson should be behind Mooney. But it's just interesting to watch that usage going forward. Usage, I'm, I'm buying Robinson right now. If you go out and get him, I like Whisper Nation, I would go and try to acquire him. I do think that he's been uh, a guy that's been somewhat quiet, not to the expe expectations uh, that people draft him at. And those are low right now. This is an opportunity to go out and try to acquire Rob, uh, Allen Robinson because he will have better days. Yeah. Buying the dip on Allen Robinson. So Johnny and Austin moving on to David Montgomery, who has, you know, once again, locked into some great usage right now against the Cincinnati team, had a great week. Johnny, how are we looking in this particular matchup here? It's unfortunate. I like, I, I, I hate to tell whisper nation this because you know, Monty has been pretty solid so far this season. Uh, however, this isn't the greatest matchup on paper. Cleveland giving up the eighth fewest fantasy points to opposing running backs, and they're just giving up just 2.85 yards per carry to opposing running backs. So not the greatest when David Montgomery comes in and he's not he doesn't he's not known for getting the yard the biggest yards per carry guy he's known for getting touches which is nice he has seen uh back back to back games with over 17 touches got even more last week uh when there was some concern about Damian uh but bounced back with an 80% snap share so you're good there uh the running lanes this is something that is a, a, a better upside for a guy like monty and getting that yards per carry up is a guy like justin fields who we do know that running and rushing quarterbacks tend to open up those rushing lanes a little bit more because you get the play action there's a threat of the quarterback running and we know that justin fields is good at running so that should pause up that d end allow some more running room for david monty just don't expect the biggest day for him but he should get the workload he should have a a solid production day and and then you just got to cross your fingers hope he can fall into the end zone uh but better days definitely ahead for david monty you can keep trusting him as that low end rb1 high end rb2 for you Guys, talking about the running back room for Cleveland here, I want to talk about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt because, you know, Matthew Berry is famous for saying hashtag free Aaron Jones. I want to get a little bit of a hashtag free Nick Chubb because it looks, Austin, as if maybe Nick Chubb's ceiling is, is capped here by Kareem Hunt. You know, capped, yeah, that's certainly a way to put it. Difficult to predict, absolutely. Chubb is running like the best running back in the NFL. Um, heavily leads pro football focuses rushing grades and elusivity grades through two seasons, and this is not an unfamiliar place for Nick Chubb to find himself. He's nearing seven yards per carry. He's like 6.8 yards per carry through two games. And 
I don't even know why, but Kareem Hunt has out-touched him, and then Andy Janovich poached a goal-line touchdown over there in Cleveland. Um, the most encouraging point I'm looking at with Chubb is that the Browns are still moving pieces around, um, and they look like they haven't cemented the roles yet. Um, there's plenty of room for Chubb to get more involved. We'll see what the coaching tree decides. I think they should get him more involved. Um, Chubb is doing great work. They can do even better. Nick Chubb is the best player I think they have on that, maybe entire team. Um, I'd be featuring him as much as you could. Kareem Hunt, though, is doing a pretty good job, too. He's still maintaining that flex role. You love to see the touches if you're a Kareem Hunt roster, but I'm going to expect those to drop um, while the targets on his come up. He's only got two targets, four targets through two games. Johnny, any streamable viability for Baker Mayfield here? We know he took that shot on the shoulder. The MRI came back negative. But uh, in a matchup against Chicago, do we think that he's got an opportunity here at all? Um, I, I I do want to touch on this because some people might think with, you know, we were we were somewhat high on Baker as far as having a solid year, maybe possibly sneaking into that lower half of that top 12. But. Um, only five games in the last 18 games for Baker Mayfield as he scored over 20 fantasy points. Chicago giving up 250 yards per game to opposing QBs. Uh, I've given up the four, fourth most amount of passing touchdowns in the league so far this year. So on paper, it's looking like it could be a decent matchup for Baker Mayfield. However, with the fact that, um, you know, Juice, him, uh, uh, Juice Go Bless Him is uh, possibly going to miss this game uh, with his injury as well as we're not sure about OBJ. I do think that you should not uh, or leave Baker on the streaming shelf this week and not go that route. Uh, I do think better days could be ahead for Baker, but it's certainly not this week. I also just wanted to touch on uh, with the cream hunt uh, with Jarvis Landry going down. If he misses this game, you could potentially see hunt get a few more options uh, at the, as, as far as passing work goes because of uh, Jarvis Landry, not being in the lineup. So just monitor yeah, he that. Hit the IR. Jarvis Landry is going to be gone for three weeks. Right, right. Yeah. So you you could see that over the next uh, three. Oh, you're right. Yeah, Jarvis not, did hit the right. Yeah, and not just uh, and not just Hunt. Right, Felton got involved there too in the passing game. So they're they're interchanging guys within the pass catchers, and that's what I, the point is beyond OBJ this week. Who Stev, Stefanski just said should be a full go at practice. We'll see if he suits up. If we just want to step right in for OBJ, he's probably going to step right into twenty percent or more target market share. He saw eight or more targets in three of his first six games last year. If we go back to twenty nine in eight of his final ten games, he saw double digit PPR fantasy points with Baker Mayfield at the helm. Chicago, fresh off of giving up big performances to Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, and all three Cincinnati wide receivers last week. They've given up the fourth most points against to wide receivers in 2021, so you like to see that. Quick note on the secondary options. I talked about Felton. Schwartz was there. He was getting a lot of praise. Came back down to earth in week two. 49% snap share, zero fantasy points. And then, you know, Austin Hooper, David Njoku at the tight end position. Both tight ends have tied for targets with eight through two weeks. They've traded off productive weeks. I can't really feel comfortable starting either without one or the other taking a clear back seat for now. So, yeah, I think to Johnny's point of why Baker's not exactly a great streamer is because there's so many different options here on the secondary pieces that aren't just as exactly trustworthy that they can really move the ball in a big way through the passing game. They're going to run the ball against you know Chicago. That's what they're going to do here to try and just do what they do best. Moving on to 
The Detroit Lions hosting the Baltimore Ravens in our next game, our second-to-last game here on the slate. We have a 49.5-point over-under, and Baltimore favored by eight on the road here. We look at this running back by committee that is Baltimore. We know they're a run-heavy team. We know we should want to invest in the running back room, but we've seen a lot of different faces, and on you know Sunday night, we kind of saw them all. So, Austin, is there anything to like out of the running back committee that is Baltimore? You can like highlights. <laughs> you, know, you can like watching football. Um, Tyson Williams, though, I like him the best. He looks the best. He performed the best. But this is really a committee of at least two big dogs there, and Tyson Williams and Latavius Murray, with likely two more supplementary pieces behind them, and Devontae Freeman, possibly Le'Veon Bell, who we know is still getting right. Tyson Williams, though, last week took 13 carries for 77 yards, caught both of his targets for another 16, led the team in snap percentage with 49%. But Ladavis Murray really wasn't that far behind him, putting up a respectable 37% snap percentage. And that was his first game back, Travis. So I expect to see that moving up. Latavius Murray ran pretty well, um, got work, got yards. Um, there's multiple competent backs in this committee, Travis. There's going to be other several backs worked in. But Lamar Jackson is one of them and is the premier goal line back. So Tyson Williams would be who I'm flexing. I'd try to move out of this backfield situation, though, if you could. There's more halfbacks in it than we've seen in years past and we've known how much john harbaugh likes to divide the entire situation and that's going to only increase in 2021 yeah as austin kind of put kind of puts it no real running back outside of lamar jackson no problem lamar jackson 107 rushing yards on 16 attempts and two rushing scores on sunday night averaged nearly seven yards per carry on his career he's continuing to do that here in 2021 he's climbed all the way back up to qb6 after that 34 point performance maybe he'll be more volatile with the pass catching injuries Maybe he'll start to get a little bit going. He was making some weird jump passes on Sunday night. He started with two picks. You'll probably have to live and die with that as a passer. But if he continues to be the way that this offense moves the field, moves the ball down the field in the rushing game, that is going to be great for fantasy football purposes. So I need to apologize a little bit to Whisper Nation because I thought his ceiling was going to be capped after that Vegas performance. I do think he's got a lot more room to hit a ceiling from week to week if he continues to be the main vein for this offense. He's now going to face a Detroit defense on a short week. They got torched by Rodgers. Look for Lamar to build on that week two performance. And part of that is because he's got a guy in Marquise Brown that is truly breaking out before our eyes. Right, Johnny? Yeah, and it's a little bit uh, to my demise, a little bit to my surprise as well, uh, because Marquise, he's really starting to target and come on as a wide receiver and and come into his own. I will say the the matchup looks better on paper than it actually is. Lions are about middle of the road to wide receivers. Um, you would normally look at that and say, oh, I got to get my guys in uh, for a Detroit Lions game. But I do think you actually should get Marquise Brown in your lineup. I think that he is minimum a flex play. I mean, right now, it's some people want to be like, well, he's a wide receiver eight. So how could you say he's like a, at minimum a flex play? I Early season rankings, big blow up games tend to you know skew things. So we don't quite bring up where they are ranking right now. Um it's encouraging to see that Marquise is, is hanging up there with pretty consistent games. I do want to bring up that eight straight games with double-digit fantasy points, but a lot of that is touchdown dependent. But when you're talking about that, of tutties, we love touchdowns, so might be the number one guy for your team, and that's what Marquise has become. 50%, 50% of this team's red zone targets have funneled through Marquise Brown. I like that. I like that. Uh, uh, that the probability of him scoring a touchdown this against Detroit. So I would throw him in my lineup. 
And like Travis kind of alluded to, uh, and we have talked about in prior breakdown matchup breakdowns is that yeah it's coming to at the expense of mark andrews mark andrews is uh zero targets in the red zone so far this season his market share has come down it was you know up in the 23 to 25 percent range which we really really liked uh but that has now come down to about 19 percent target shares through uh these first two weeks of the season uh, so the tides could be changing. Lamar could get more and more used to these wide receivers and going outside, and that spells trouble for Mark Andrews. But with all that said, and like Austin uh, likes to say, a good, good quote by him is, I know what you said, but everything after, but when you put but, everything before is BS. I will say but. <laughs> Detroit is giving up nine and a half fantasy points to opposing tight ends this this season so mark andrews you could start him this week it should be a good matchup this week <laughs> maybe an opportunity to get out of mark andrews if you yeah. have a blow-up game want to yeah. talk a little bit briefly you talked about marquise brown we've talked about this before yeah touchdowns are so volatile in fantasy football unless you have a guy that's getting red zone targets then you can count on touchdowns right that's what that that's what we get out of adam thielen and out of mike evans we're starting to see a little bit that maybe the poor man's version of that with marquise brown so something to monitor there on the detroit side of the ball another false narrative we've heard a lot is that this timeshare for DeAndre Swift is probably going to cap his upside or or kill his upside or maybe he can't be who we want him to be so Austin I'll ask you is the this timeshare really happening the way we expected and do we see you know this affecting DeAndre Swift negatively going forward well there's definitely some impact that it has happened on this I want to know what Johnny I'm really curious actually Johnny's take on this one I could provide mm -hmm. mine on here but um, guys, I, always try to... to throw it to me on the Detroit Lions backfield here. I know <laughs> you're just trying to get the, the, the jabs in the sticks. No, I, I'm just kidding. Uh, I appreciate that, Austin. I, I do monitor this very closely. Uh, so I have come somewhat come an expert on the Detroit Lions uh, this season as I have been a fan of them. But I will say that uh, Jamal Williams will continue to have some flex appeal. Uh, I will say that his massive we, we, we saw him get, uh, you know, 16 carries in the or 16 total touches week one. And we really thought, OK, if that's how it's going to be, he's really going to be in that kind of uh, high end flex, you know, low end RB2 kind of area for you. However, he did come back to earth in week two, only saw 10 touches in week two after seeing 16 week one. So. I do expect him to get, you know, carve out that kind of niche between 10 and and. 16 touches per week which does still bode for a uh, flex option for me and and then you're talking about deandre swift i know he didn't have the greatest game you saw us and me uh wanting a big game from deandre swift this past weekend against green bay it was not in the cards even though the matchup kind of dictated that would be nice but i will say deandre swift still fifth most receiving yards uh to opposing running backs for this uh, upcoming weekend, despite the matchup saying that they give up the seventh fewest points to opposing uh, running backs. So he should get that passing down work and he's still seeing 67% of the snaps at the running back position. Uh, so I do think that it's still good for DeAndre Swift. It's just expected. He's not going to be that, you know, 80, 80 touch or 80% workload kind of running back like Derrick Henry or anything like that. He's much more of like he gets his usage off of efficiency type of running back. So I think that you're still going to have better days with Swift. I think that you can play him in this game and you can flex uh, Williams if you need to. 
Dude, somebody who is flexing strong right now is TJ Hawkinson, Austin. I couldn't be happier. I I think this whole panel is happy. Obviously, Austin, you have shares across the board of TJ Hawkinson, but I have uh, I've named him as a bromance. I've got some shares of him, too. He is just established, and, and, and he's, is he a top three tight end moving forward the rest of this year? I mean, he's got everything you would look for in a top three tight end. He's the most talented pass catcher on his team um, on an offense that knows he's the most talented pass catcher on that team, too. There's no no confusion from anybody in that Detroit locker room. He's got great rapport with the starting quarterback who can regularly throw the ball for over 250 yards. Plus, this is kind of a bad team, meaning game flow is regularly going to work into Hawkinson's favor. He's a physical freak. He's got the role. He's got the rapport. He's got the reputation. There really isn't anything working against TJ Hawkinson. And in fact, everything in his repertoire is working towards him being a top three tight end option, regardless of matchup rest of the season. Oh, you're you're muted, uh, uh, Travis. Uh, but I, I will add the, on there. So tell you, oh yeah, I was going to say the people didn't want me to talk about Quintez Cephas, but go ahead, Johnny. Well, I just wanted to say with the uh, with the Hawkinson, the reason why I do think that he could finish that way is what did we see from Kittle a few years ago when his situation was very similar to how Hawkinson is now in that there was a, a, a solid running game. We could call Detroit a solid running game now, and and you had that in the 49ers uh, attack, and then they didn't have any pass pass catchers really that you could full on believe in. And it was, so it was, it was Kittle that year. And I do think that's what's going to be here. Oakland and, but, as well. Darren yeah, Waller Oakland, situation. Yep. It's the yep. same type of situation. Best yeah. pass it's just, catcher on it's the team. lack of inspiring other pass catchers. Who yeah, can right. take away from him? Not really anybody, unless I start to sell you on Quintez Cephas, <laughs> which I am going to try and do a little you bit won't. here. We talked do on it. Monday night, Austin. You asked me if Cephas was going to make the waiver wire, if he was going to be a guy. Johnny was joking, saying you won't put him in the waiver wire column. I had to, based on what we saw. He saw 35% snap share in week one, but then Tyrell Williams got injured. Cephas then played 90% of the team snaps in week two. His seven targets trailed only our guy TJ Hawkinson on the team could very well establish himself at the second option on a team that we're talking about going to be passing a lot. He could hold great value. I feel, I look at what Baltimore's done. They've given up the seventh most receiving yards to wide receiver. This kind of puts Cephas on the flex radar for me this week. You need a what-the-heck flex. I think this is a decent game to get in and try and flex Cephas. You, you could see worse options on the waiver. Moving on to our final game of part one, we've got the New England Patriots hosting the New Orleans Saints. This is a low over under 41 and a half. New England favored by three in Foxborough. When, like, we got to start at the beginning of this because, Austin, you've talked about this a couple times, the New Orleans offense or or the shakiness of it. You know, what can we expect? Now we've got Bill Belichick fresh off of embarrassing Zach Wilson. Going to take Jameis Winston, he's probably going to take it personal that Jameis Winston can be saved and Sean Payton can make him good. I don't I don't really like what I'm seeing out of out of this offense for this week. I'm concerned about the New Orleans Saints offense. I'm concerned about Jameis Winston as a starting quarterback. And I'm concerned about this entire offense in New Orleans going up against New England Patriots, coached by Bill Belichick. Travi, as you mentioned, just forced Four interceptions from Zach Wilson and the New York Jets. Zach Wilson loves to chuck it. Jameis loves to chuck it. We talked about the interceptions Jameis had, two of those last week. He also only completed 50% of his passes. The Patriots' defense should be better than Carolina's, the team that took two of Jameis Winston's throws away last week. Um, I'm not even confident that Jameis Winston is going to be the starting quarterback at the end of this game. 
Yeah, that's a very interesting point. This is not the game to be messing around in. Uh, you, you know, Peyton's got ego. He's not going to want to have Belichick, you know, be, be embarrassing his offense. That's what he's known for, his offense, what Belichick's known for, his defense. So with all this swirling around, Johnny, any pass catchers we could trust? Are we still waiting patiently for guys like Callaway, Deontay Harris, or maybe one of the tight ends? Yeah, I'm not. I, until we see something further uh, in more consistent fashion, I'm not throwing any wide receivers out there for New Orleans. We'll see when Michael Thomas gets back there. But there is a lot of concern because even last week, Callaway had a projected nice matchup and he had a complete dud there. And so that uh, he would be the only one outside of Kamara that you would have been willing to put in your lineup and say, all right, I think that there's a good opportunity here. And and it just didn't happen. So I have major concerns again also talking about the New England Patriots defense, one of the better defenses so far uh, when it, when facing wide receivers. So don't want it. Don't, yeah, don't do it. This, just don't this, do it. Can't coach them. This Patriots defense definitely really returned a lot of sto- starters from the COVID holdout. And now they are a team that is to be reckoned with as far as we're looking at the offenses opposing them. Want to come in and talk a little bit about this concern for Kamara because it has to be said, went from 23 touches in week one to only 12 in week two. That hadn't dipped that low since week 12 of last year, which was one of the Taysom Hill starts. So we're starting to see the concern we had if Taysom Hill was the starter for Kamara with Jameis Winston as the starter. So maybe Kamara Kamara a little bit more, you know, volatile than we actually had thought. Um, even if he is the main vein, this is an offense in flux. We saw the Panthers D that was surprising people. It's continuing to do that. We've got the Patriots D coming in. New England's been able to stop key players since Bill Belichick's been their head coach. And then you look at what they've done. They haven't allowed a rushing or receiving touchdown to any opposing running back through two weeks. Look, I'm you can't you have to roll out Alvin Kamara. But again, like we talked a little bit, you're rolling him out there, tempering expectations, and maybe looking for a flex with higher upside or putting more points with more upside in your lineup to try and make up for maybe some of the dip that Kamara could give you. I think that's the strategy with Kamara, and it could be moving forward in bad matchups. As we move on to who uh, to the New England Patriots uh, offense, we've got to ask. You know, if we're firing up any pass catchers, because Johnny, we talked about Jacoby Myers as a potential breakout this year. How are you feeling in this particular matchup? Low over under here. Don't like the low over under. You look at this matchup against the Saints, they're middle of the road against the pass uh, or against wide receivers. So it's just really not lining up for me in order to get one of these guys in my lineup, even as a flex. The thing I'll say about Jacoby, he's getting the nice target market share that we kind of projected, right? 23%, which is right in that range where we want him to be. Uh, But unfortunately, the yards per target is sitting at 5.5. We need that to get up a little bit. And maybe it could, you know, after after Mac Jones gets a little bit more settled into this offense and they get rolling a little bit more than they are right now. But right now, it's just the upside isn't quite there for Jacoby. The workload seems to be right there, but we want those two things to align. And then when you're talking about Nelson Aguilar, uh, he's the other guy that you would kind of potentially look at maybe as a flex, but again, only seeing 15% of the target market share for New England. Uh, but he does have a better yards per target in 9.3. So that is up. But again, the markets are, or the, the share is down. So you're not really looking to throw him in as a flex play this week at all. 
Austin, I had to ask because you were bringing this up. We were talking, we were high on these tight ends, you know, yeah. coming mm -hmm. into the year. Maybe, you know, they brought them in. Could it be Gronk and Hernandez version 2.0? Where are we at? Where, how are we feeling about these tight ends now? You know what? I think it needs to be said first and foremost that Johnny Smith is dealing with another ailment. And I think that's this time with his hip. And we saw his snap percentage drop to just 50% last week. We also have seen Hunter Henry's health improve. We know he was dealing with some lower half ailments during preseason um, himself. And so Henry's been getting more healthy and his snap percentage is correlated 81% last week. Um, Joe News, as we said, did drop down. This is really just a situation to monitor for me, Travis. Um, Right now, if you had to pick one, Henry would be my pick because of that increased role, and we know what his potential from his play style is. But I'm going to be fading on these tight ends right now because of the points that Johnny had mentioned there on, and you had mentioned there well as well about Mac Jones's conservative approach, the limited yards per attempt. That's just really not going to be benefiting any of these pass catchers. I think the Patriots are going to keep playing winning football, and Mac Jones is going to develop more comfort, and he's going to let that ball air out a little bit. And these two tight ends are just too talented to avoid forever but they're likely going to be on your waiver wire i'm okay with you keeping them there this week but i also think it's a decent investment opportunity because i think mac jones is going to improve a lot and these tight ends are just too good to not be involved as the season keeps moving forward especially considering yeah we love jacoby myers we love nelson Aguilar, but like let's get real for a second these two dudes are not through the ceiling and spark scores talent anything like that johnny smith and hunter henry though are, are probably the most quantifiably gifted athletes on the offensive side of the ball at least from the pass catching role yeah if we could get both healthy maybe this offense hits another level for them that's what we're kind of looking at but i will say as far as a rushing team that's what this team is we look at damian harris 39 carries for damian harris that ranks sixth among running backs in the nfl right now back-to-back -back games with double digit ppr fantasy points he found the end zone in week two on a real nice 26 yard run after that doghouse narrative he did see a dip in snaps in in week two he had 41 percent compared to the 53% in week one. And that's because they do rotate in James White, 50% of the snaps in week two, back-to-back -back games with six receptions, 12 receptions at the running back position. That's tied for second after two weeks. It's going to be volatile for James White and anything other than PPR. But I think that you can roll out Damian Harris with great confidence. We looked at what the Saints did. Maybe you're looking at that red or medium, you know, orange on your lineup. But they just gave up a great game to CMC. 29 total touches, 72 yards on the ground, a rushing touchdown, and then 65 receiving yards through the air for CMC, 13 yards per reception. I would start Harris with confidence, and I think you can flex White in PPR leagues only. And if you have that RB needy team in a PPR, I think that's where you can get flex uh, White into your flex lineup. But and we're going to flex. I, I just wanted to touch. Yeah, I wanted to add something really quick, um, kind of uh, looking a little bit for in the future. If James White is on your waiver wire, I would go pick him up right now uh, because not only like a decent matchup this week, right? Uh, that big Travis just talked about, but then also next week, New, uh, New England gets Tampa Bay. And what have we seen consistently with teams trying to attack Tampa Bay? It's through that scat back that, um, you know, passing to the outside, not running up the gut. So uh, just to get get prepared, if you he could be a good flex play next week, and you'll probably want to sit Damian next week. White likely owned, though he was rostered in a little bit yeah. over sixty percent of your leagues and sleepers, so he's probably out there. But good point, Johnny. If he's sitting there, go grab him because he he could definitely uh, have some effectiveness for you. But we are effective yeah. in our way to 
break down the first part of the slate of games. That does it for us in part one. We appreciate you guys hanging with us. If you want to get part two, make sure you're subscribed anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you have any further lineup questions, make sure you're subscribed over on YouTube and tune in Sunday morning, an hour and a half before kickoff, and check the fantasywhispers.com even for more lineup questions for our weekly rankings. For Johnny Game Time Hicks, I'm Big Travi, and we are the Fantasy Whispers. We're out. Peace. And Austin. I'm sorry, Austin. I didn't mean to sign you off there. And Austin's here. We're out now. Peace. (laughs) Peace. (laughs) Right here. Look at you go. You made it to the end of another one of our videos. Hey, if you still have some questions, I totally understand. Or you just want to join an awesome fantasy football community, head on over to our Discord chat. Link is in the description below. And if you're still not sold on us, check out one of these videos. Don't you hear the whisper?